0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I'm your host, Danny, and today we're doing another interview. And I recently did a poll out there on the YouTube community page asking as far as what content you'd like to see C4C do in the future for 2023. And out of four, the top two was free grace teachings as well as Christian apologetics. And so today, without further ado, what we're doing is more along the lines of Christian apologetics and reaching the youth, the teens, maybe the younger adults defending on how you define generations, but we're going to be talking a little bit about Generation Z, as well as just other evangelistic methods and and ways to reach people for the cause of Christ. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Caleb Reed. He's an evangelist uh, that I've recently come in contact with through my daughter. And my daughter's Never told me to interview anybody until today. And so uh, today I'm interviewing Caleb Reed, thankful for his ministry to my daughter and then to the others around the world. Recently at a winter retreat out in Southland Christian camp. And so I don't want to go talk too much about it. I want to go ahead and let Caleb share a little bit about his thoughts, his his life, his ministry, whatever he wants to share. And so Caleb, I thank you for being with us today. Uh, Feel free to let the audience know a little bit about yourself, anything you'd like to share before we move on. Okay.
1: Yes. Uh, as Brother Danny mentioned, my name is Caleb Reed. Uh, I am a, an uh, an evangelist um, that is a used to using at least in the independent fundamental Baptist world. Um, it's a title that we're we're that's common. But I, if I was going to define my role, my gifting, my title, the way I would believe biblically, I would call myself a revivalist. Hmm. Um, and we can talk more about that later as far as the evangelizing. Uh, but uh, was born and raised in the state of Maine. My dad was in the ministry uh, for a number of years. And then uh, in my growing up years, I, my my dad would tell you this. We, I grew up in a, in a dead home as far as Christianity goes. Um, power, there was no power. Uh, miracles, very few. We, we read about them, but didn't see them. Uh, the spirit-filled life. In other words, depending on the spirit of God to enable you to live Christianity. We didn't understand that. My dad didn't understand that. It was all about... Try harder, be disciplined, do more, try yeah. to serve God, try to please God. And so in that home that I grew up in, at least for the early part of my year or years, um, the idea of ministry to me was not appealing in the least. <laughs> but somehow in the back of my mind, I think I always knew. I don't, I don't know when it was I, I knew God was calling me to preach, but I always had it in the back of my mind. So go through my teen years, struggled with uh, a, a lot of different issues, secret sin, secret relationships, hiding things from my parents, all of that. Uh, when I was, I finished high school, I went to an academy in Texas is actually where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm in big Sandy, Texas right now. And uh, I went to this academy for a, a time and God used it significantly in my life. And then after that, my dad asked me, would you be willing to use, do a year of Bible college? And I, I resented that because I knew if I go to Bible College, I will get called to preach. And um, but I didn't I wanted to honor my dad, and I didn't want to run from the Lord. And so I, I yielded to go to, to Bible College and God, in his gracious mercy, dealt with me. And I am so grateful for that. I cannot imagine um, where I would be or what I would be doing if I if the Lord had allowed me my own way. And God dealt with me the third night into the revival meeting at the opening opening year of our, of our school year. And that night I surrendered to preach and everything changed after that. So that was when I was 19. Uh, I I did uh, I, four years. I did a four-year undergrad uh, program in five. I traveled some during that time with another evangelist. And so it, it extended my, um, my schooling. So I did undergrad. And then I did my master's after that. And then my wife and I uh, we got married the summer after I finished seminary, and then the Lord uh, sent us a little child. Uh, well, we got uh, my wife got pregnant, had her first bait, firstborn, and then we started traveling. Um, we traveled off and on with another evangelist in his ministry called Minutemen Ministries. Jim Van Gelderen is who runs that. So I traveled with him at, for a time, and then we launched out on our own uh, basically spring of 2020. So we've been on the road just over three years now. And um, we now travel in a fifth wheel trailer. So we've got a 40 mm-hmm. foot travel unit that we pull behind our uh, F 350, and that is our home. We don't own a home currently anywhere else. That's our home. Uh, we would like to own a home at some point, uh, a brick and mortar home. But right now, that is our home, and it's a it's a we we love it. We really really, really do. Uh, God has made us for it. He's made my wife for it, and my kids don't know anything
2: different.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You had a uh, made mention that at 19 you had really believed that Lord was calling you to evangelism and to ministry and you surrendered. I'm just curious Mm -hmm. before we get into like the real questions. uh, How did you know? How did you know?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, there's no other way for me to, to, I can't explain it any other way than to just to say, I just, I just knew. Like there was no verse that hit me in the face. There was no, it wasn't a preaching message. I had known for years that I was supposed to be a preacher um, like any other endeavor that I'd ever pursued, I thought I wanted to be a police officer. That's what I really wanted to pursue in my own human desires.
2: Right. And
1: I knew every time I was pressing, trying to move that direction, I knew I was. It was not what God wanted me to do. And I was just hoping that just maybe He would relent. <laughs> um, so that's 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 not an easy. It's not a, maybe a helpful answer, but it's the only answer I have.
0: No, and it's a very. I don't want to use the word common because I think it takes away from the situation, but it's really a common answer when people are trying to discern, okay, God, which way am I going? It's really something that personally, internally, mm-hmm. you just know. Mm-hmm. You know? And a It's lot something of times, the
1: spirit does.
2: Yeah.
0: That it, that you, and it's a, it's a
1: spiritual reality that in human physical terms, it's hard to put that into language because it's, it's a spiritual thing
0: that's yeah, exactly so i i appreciate your heart for ministry like i said recently uh being out there at winter retreat at southlands you were know you are effectively used at least in one person's life and I truly am grateful for that. And so uh, but today we're talking a little bit about practical Christian apologetics for those that may be unfamiliar unfamiliar what is Christian apologetics basically it's simply giving a reason for the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear first peter 3:15 the apostle talks about we have to be ready we have to know what we believe why we believe it and uh, be able to use that to reach people for Christ and for the gospel. And there's a lot more we could talk about it, but uh, I want to first, right off the bat, Caleb, ask you the question, Mm -hmm. what role do you believe Christian apologetics plays within evangelizing?
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. So in my, I've never taken an apologetics class, but Mm -hmm. I've certainly, I've I've watched different guys and and done some reading on the the topic. Um, In my thinking, the gospel has power, I shouldn't say in my thinking. This is this is Bible truth. The gospel itself has power. So at the end of the day, what is going to convince a man of his need for salvation is the power of the gospel. However, I can communicate the gospel in a really confusing and poor way. Yeah. So much so that the person can walk away from the conversation not even knowing. I don't even know what he was saying, what he was talking about. I believe what apologetics does is it gives a logical, reasonable cognitive uh, a a, a um, intuitive it makes sense for a person to believe truth. look we, what we believe is by faith, but it doesn't mean it's unbelievable
2: right.
1: what, what I mean by that is it doesn't it doesn't mean that our um if you look at all of religion throughout the world Christianity is the only religion that makes sense yeah so I think it's incredibly appropriate and needed for me to be able to give a when I'm giving a reason or or trying to explain the gospel to someone I want to give a a reason that makes sense okay evolution doesn't make sense if you're gonna look at it from a very logical standpoint so for me to understand the, the intricacies, you know, for me to go to the ark and, and to do some reading with the, uh, answers in Genesis and try to understand some of these things so that when a person who is studied uh, um, and, and very learned, when I can give a learned response, I'm not trusting in the fact that I'm not a buffoon, like to convince him because I'm a scholar, right. but he needs to know that God's people aren't just faith-filled idiots, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. um, I'm sure you've heard it, but whatever God does, he does it well. And so, uh, I, I don't want to ever communicate, um, because I have God and because I have faith, you know, I don't have to be educated. So I think, I think the, the biggest thing, what it comes down to is being able to communicate the gospel clearly, effectively, and logically so that, uh, a person who is also learned can recognize there's some, there's truth there. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you watch someone like, um, um. Oh, what's his name? He's he's passed away now. He wrote a book, uh, "Seeking Allah,
0: Finding Jesus." Oh, you're um, talking about uh, uh Nabil Qureshi.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. When you listen, when you watch some of his videos, the man is brilliant, mm-hmm. and the way he communicates truth is is brilliant. Mm-hmm. But it's simple, and that's the reason it's brilliant. Yeah. Is because he's he's explaining biblical truth, but all biblical truth makes sense, and so to be able to. Study in a way so to, to be able to communicate it effectively, I think is very, very advantageous,
0: yeah, i would I would completely agree with you. and when when you're talking, I like the fact that you brought up the aspect of giving a reasonable uh, response to some of these people that have studied whether evolution out or secularism, you know, humanism, whatever these other man-made philosophies are, that Christians aren't just living a life in blind faith, that there is faith all around us. And I know that, generations play a big difference as far as how we reach the people and so the days of the bible says that i believe it, that settles it while that is true and we can even say the bible says it that settles it uh that doesn't really engage the younger generation because they have the answer the questions they want to know why and uh and so i'm mm-hmm. glad you brought that aspect up and talking about that could you explain a little bit of generational differences and what role understanding the differences between generation plays within a particular people group or demographic? Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and let me just make one more comment with that with yeah. what you're just mentioning. If the Bible is not true in a vacuum, the Bible is true across the board, and the Bible will be proven true across the board. In other words, whether you're studying science, whether you're studying society, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're studying studying history, you will always find the Bible is true. so to 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 the point that you just made, if I'm just saying, um, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Okay, that yes, that is necessary. We need to have that as a core foundation, but we ought not be afraid mm-hmm. of delving into science. And society and all these kind of things, because if the Bible is true, then that truth is going to affect science. It, it actually built, it made science, you know, it's yep. going to affect a society. And so I, I think as a, especially as a believer, if I'm honest with the scripture, I should never be fearful of entering into a conversation yep. about whatever cultural, social issue it is, because the truth of the scripture will always give the answer. <laughs> Um, and you know, even on, on the point of uh, you know, um, homosexuality, mm-hmm. transgenders, things like that, you'll have media people trying to peg uh, different Christian leaders, you know, what's your denomination think? What's your church think? And, and really, they're just looking for a soundbite or for something that they can attack them for. Uh, but uh, I think it's, I think it's Tim Keller. Uh, the, the pastor there in New York City, when he was asked that, that question about, you know, do you believe homosexuality is wrong? He, he, he. That's a, that's a question that many of our, our evangelicals get scared of. If, if if they stick a microphone and a camera in our face, we we get fearful of that question. But if I believe the Bible is true, then I believe that God is loving and God is good. So therefore, if God is loving and God is good, He knows what is best for that young person who's struggling with their gender identity. And if God is loving and God is good and supremely wants their best. And wants them to experience God's love, then my telling them the truth that homosexuality is wrong and hurtful is the most loving thing I can do. Yeah. So that's why the truth of the Bible, like I said, it's not in a vacuum. It affects every area of our life, and so that's why it is so important that we don't live under a rock, that we live learned in those in those areas of a society. But anyways, okay. The second question you asked, I I like
0: that. I like that. I'm gonna. That was an excellent little clip right there. So I appreciate that insight, man. Yes, sure.
1: So the second question you asked,
0: what was that? that... So as far as the difference in generations, you know, like like Mm -hmm. we were talking about the older generation, you know, uh, they may not have been very philosophically minded or very scientifically minded. And like you said, the Bible, we shouldn't be scared of science or any Mm -hmm. of these other things. And so knowing the difference between the older generations, maybe say like baby boomers and what Gen X and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and then you got millennials or Gen Z's like we're talking about today, uh, what role does understanding the differences between generations play in effectively reaching them?
2: Mm,
1: yes, okay. So I think it's it is it is very helpful to a minister,
2: mm-hmm.
1: a preacher, and even to church people to understand generational differences. I think it's very helpful. But it's not supreme. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is. People are people. Right. And what a baby boomer needs. And what a millennial needs is the exact same thing. (laughs) They both need acceptance. They both need forgiveness. They both need someone to just listen. Mm -hmm. They both need vulnerability. They both cross the board. I'm a millennial. Uh, and and yet, this last weekend, I was preaching to almost entirely Gen Z generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I need and what they need is no different. How I communicate to them is going to be slightly different. I'm going to mm-hmm. have to think through my terminology. I'm going to have to think through my illustrations, even my applications. Um, let me give you, a, for instance, I was watching a, a video by Simon Sinek. If you're familiar with uh-huh. with yeah. Simon. And he was talking about uh, in his work culture or in his in his um, in the business that he owns, he had three people that um, that quit and they quit because they said they were burned out. And Simon goes to them and says, you know, you're burned out. Why? Why would you be burned out? I mean, I know you're not putting in the amount of work that would burn somebody out. Like, why are you burned out? And they revealed to him, they said, well, and and they were all Gen Z. I believe they were all Gen Z. They might have been millennials, but there's very, very much similarities. Uh, And they made the comment. They said that we're burned out because. They were empathizers. Every problem in the workforce, they could feel and hurt with those people. Mm-hmm. And so everyone in that office, whether they realized it or not, everyone in that office was coming and dumping on them. Mm-hmm. So what happens was they were taking on the emotional pain, the emotional trauma, the emotional, uh, oh, my mother-in-law, I can't stand, you know, those kind of I, things. Yeah. They were taking on all of that for everybody else, and they didn't know how to handle that in their own place. You know where they're at in their own maturity of life. They 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 weren't emotionally stable to handle all of that, and they got to the point where they were just they were exhausted. Okay, my personality isn't that way. Amen. <laughs> hey, my personality is like deal with your own problems. Uh, yeah. But recognizing that, especially with Gen Zs and millennials, Gen mm-hmm. Zs and millennials desperately want authenticity. And I understand that that's a buzzword, and I always always like that word, but it is it's it's helpful to mm-hmm. use. Um, uh, they want people to be real. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I think sometimes we have a tendency to swim the pendulum where people are always wearing their emotions on our sleeves. No. And so people in the crowd are, are they're worn out. So, I, okay. So I'm preaching at a, to a group and I need to understand, okay, there's some Gen Z's out here that, uh, emotionally they have taken on other people's problems. They've delved into things that they don't need to, and they don't know how to leave their problems in the hands of Jesus. Mm. Baby hey, boomers, maybe that's not their problem. Because I'm preaching to Gen Zs, I'm going to tailor my application, spirit led, but I'm going to tailor my application to okay. You need to know how to rest in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You need to know how to point someone back to Jesus. Don't try to fix their problems. You need to point them back to them. So understanding their specific uh, specific generational weaknesses mm-hmm. that was going to help me tailor my application or the wording I'm going to use to apply it to them mm-hmm. but fundamentally generation to generation we all have the same core needs you know on that point of vulnerability baby boomers
0: mm-hmm.
1: do not they're very uncomfortable with vulnerability
0: yes <laughs> yeah.
1: but if they will get past that and begin to realize this is where they can begin to unmask uncloak baby boomers will tell us will tell you it's liberating mm. so that's why I guess what my um, you know we, we got several questions about different generations but at the end of the day I need to just love on them
2: Yeah,
1: but, but I do think it's helpful to understand um, the strengths and the weaknesses of, of each generation because especially as a minister that's going to help me know how to, uh, especially how to tailor my application and preaching to them.
0: No, I I definitely appreciate that. And like you said, baby boomers and maybe the older generation, it's like the vulnerabilities or that emotional side tends to be, I don't want to say absent, but very reserved with them as opposed to like millennials or Gen Zers that wear the emotions on their sleeves, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I appreciate you bringing that aspect up. With that being the case, are there any big differences between millennials and Gen Z uh, today? Yeah, um, I don't I don't personally I don't feel like I see tons mm-hmm. except
1: for the fact um, that gen Gen Z has never lived without technology. Yeah, whereas most millennials have. Mm-hmm. So I remember when cell phones first came out. I remember yeah. my, my dad's first cell phone. Um, I, I remember I, I'm, I've never used an A-track, but I, Cassettes, VHS, all of that kind of stuff. So like, I don't remember from, since I can remember the internet has basically always been around. So have you been um, around
0: with Prodigy or when America Online first came up? Uh, remember, remember the what, dial what up internet?
1: that i remember for sure like you call someone you get a busy tone and you're like well they're either on well, the phone or they're on the internet
0: well like on uh well that but like yeah america online you remember how when you connected to america online it was like
2: Baker.
0: remember that or no only when i was when, when on the uh i mean i remember that sound because
1: of taking the internet taking forever <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: um, but as far as like the advent of the internet i don't yeah. really remember that i think it's was-
2: yeah, right. so like because no, I was born, in, I'm a late
1: millennial. I was born yeah. in '92, so I'm right at the end of the millennial generation. Right. Um, but 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 with all that, yeah. Okay, so I remember when MySpace came out,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that was like your first social media platform. Mm-hmm. And my parents didn't let me get it. And then Facebook came out, and that became the really big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually, I remember when Snapchat came out, uh, and when the first iPhone came out. Okay, so all of that was. I mean, yeah. when I was in college. It was i think there was one guy when i first came to college there was one guy in the student body who had a smartphone and the rest of us thought that was extravagant (laughs)
2: like
1: bro you're trying to pay your school bill and you bought a smartphone now if you have a flip phone you're like are your parents under a rock (laughs) like what, what happened to you so but with gen z's they've always had technology there has always been a push with influencers there's always like the concept of having a social media profile is ubiquitous with living. Whereas for my generation, that was something, if you felt like you wanted to create one, you could create one.
2: Right. But
1: if you didn't create a social media profile,
2: whatever, it didn't
1: really make that big of a difference. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's with most, and and again, I'm making broad statements, so this wouldn't apply to every single individual, but what with Gen Z, um, Maintaining a social media persona is necessary to life almost yeah. so with that, um I think you have your your depression rates are much higher. Mm. Your um suicidal tendencies are much higher. Um, your loneliness, it's certainly millennials as well, but I think gen Z, it's just it's heightened even more. Your excessive feelings of loneliness. Statistics are telling us that Gen Zers are the loneliest generation. Wow, because they are connected, but they have no friends. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're connected, but they they have very few meaningful conversations. Mm-hmm. So, to give you a for instance, when it comes to a preacher in preaching, mm-hmm. um, I just got Facebook within the last two years. and, and Twitter within the last two years. And within the last year I got rid of Twitter (laughs) because I couldn't stand it. (laughs) Um, so, and even on my Facebook page, I have a, I have a ministry page and then I have a, um, my, I had a had to start a page to get the ministry page and that page doesn't have (laughs) any of my information. I have no friends. So like, I'm only using it for the purpose of getting out to ministry. Um, when I am, when I look at, the social media usage of people in my generation and especially the teenagers today it greatly grieves me because we have become so accustomed to half nude photos bikini clad photos soft porn softcore pornography and it's so normal it's in our feed in a, in a young person's feed every couple of seconds that we become so desensitized to the, um, just the filth around us. And when a preacher like myself says, look, guys, this social media is hurting you. You might need to delete an account to a Gen Zer, that is like radical and just unnecessary. Yeah. So I had a young man recently come to me and say, Hey, look, man, you got to remember you can minister through Facebook. You can post a verse. You can encourage someone. And there's another guy sitting next to him. Is like, yeah, I just I just did that the other day. And I think, you know what? You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons we post our ministry updates and, and answers to prayer and the people that got saved is because we want people to be encouraged. But I want to say, bro, how much filth have you watched in the last 48 hours? That one verse that you posted does not redeem that 48 hours of filth.
2: Yeah.
1: Like we need to stop... Uh, we need, we need to stop saying the end justifies the means. I was talking with a young man just yesterday and I just asked him cause he's a little bit younger than I, but he's a, a youth pastor. And I asked him, I said, Hey, do you feel like, uh, like a guy like me, should I be opening up an Instagram account? Should I be opening up a TikTok account so I can understand where the young people is at? And he said, to be honest with you, he said, I've had them both. And he said, I would run from them as fast as I can. Yeah he said the amount of garbage that i saw on there that hurt me spiritually he said the the connection to family that i think i i have via social media and the ministry that i think i res- got I, I can have because of social media media it doesn't hold a candle
2: right
1: well let me back up with the point of loneliness we we are we can't we're connected we've got 400 followers friends hmm. to post a picture of our family. Our grandmother likes it. Okay. That kind of family connection does not hold a candle to, Hey grandma, how you doing on yeah. the phone to, to writing out an email or taking someone out to breakfast. I can, I can like your photo and we, and now I think we're connected. <laughs> but if you and I sit down to, I'm not, I'm just using, using illustration, oh, yeah, but yeah, if yeah. you and I sit down uh, for breakfast and I ask you, Danny, how are you doing in your personal life? How are you doing in your viewing? How how are you in your relationship with your wife? Okay, I have just stepped beyond to a deeper level of friendship than than you can ever receive on social media. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can ask those questions on social media. Mm -hmm. We can have a Zoom call. But there is nothing like personal, intimate, face-to-face, sitting across the counter time. And so that's why... the difference between generations my millennial generations are maybe a little bit more apt to think you know what i'm going to take a break from social media for a little while right it's hindering me but to a general Zer, i i I, i've got four heads when i say maybe you should delete that account right i asked a baby boomer not long ago about a year ago about the issue on the issue of pornography Mm -hmm. um i said what's what's your generation's biggest biggest weakness and he said, our biggest weakness about pornography is we don't want to talk about it, but we bury our head in the sand. I said, okay. I said, what's my generation's biggest weakness? He said, your generation's biggest biggest weakness is you don't think it's a big deal. You've gotten comfortable. And that's what social media has done, especially with the younger generation. We have become become so comfortable with immorality, bed scenes, the F word being dropped all around. We become so comfortable with it that we think it's normal life. When I do believe the spirit is greatly grieved. Mm-hmm. So there's those are some that's a lot lot longer answer than no, but <laughs> maybe you were wanting that.
0: To... No, I I wanted what the passion was, and that's definitely a passion uh, that you have and a burden, and I. Totally agree with you. I got a book over here that I've read a couple times, called "Disciplines of a Godly Man" by Kent Hughes. And in that book, he uses the illustration of David's sin with Bathsheba, and how, uh, by committing that one act, he broke all ten commandments of you know the ten commandments of the Decalogue. And then when you really look into that, how did all that happen? It's because really he was desensitized to a cultural influence around him, mm-hmm. and like you're saying with social media and Facebook. Yeah, they could be used for good, but there's also an aspect of desensitization that's happening within our culture here in America. That now we're just seeing it every day, and we think it's just normal. And uh, mm-hmm. and so I'm totally I'm totally with you. And even like with Facebook, yeah, you can have friends and only look at your friends, you know, wall or comments, whatever the case is. Years ago, but now there's random sponsors, random ads pop up. They're now with the advent of Facebook you know, videos or whatever they are, like the Instagram reels. Now you're getting random reels, you know, if you will, on Facebook that is bringing in stuff on your computer or your phone that you don't want to see. And so, mm-hmm. no, I'm totally with you. Mm-hmm. And and when you go to somebody like I said, they look at you like you got four heads, you know, it's totally a radical idea. And I love what you said as far as the connection is concerned, because while we may think, where we got a lot of friends because we might have 400 you know 500 a thousand friends on facebook there's no substitute for meaningful friendship and meaningful dialogue and so no i totally totally uh, agree with you and really uh, saw your heart in that answer uh talking about gen z and in millennials from my understanding and my research and studies is the fact that one of the biggest objections millennials had with the church if you will is the fact of hypocrisy within the church now i know we're all sinners we're we're all hypocrites and and we get that but when Mm -hmm. trying to reach millennials one of their biggest Mm -hmm. arguments was hypocrisy uh do you see any sort of big objection that gen zers have right now within the church
1: yeah. I think there's two things. So actually that, when you, you sent me that question and it really stimulated my thinking. And so I took that same question and I, I put it on a, um, I don't, there's a, on a platform where there's about a hundred people that I connect with, we all went to the same school. Most, most everybody went, we went to the same school. Uh-huh. And so I posted that question on there. I said, Hey, this question was posed to me. I got to answer it Thursday. I said, you guys give me your thoughts. And it was very <laughs> instructive. Yeah. To, to receive some of those thoughts. And I had some of my own, but even hearing from people, who are in the Gen Z generation, Mm -hmm. their thoughts are like, okay, this is really good. Okay, so first of all, uh, we have to understand that just because someone says, uh, you know, hypocrisy in the church, okay, is there hypocrisy in the church? Absolutely. Do we need to deal with the hypocrisy in the church? Absolutely. And this is why the issue of vulnerability, especially with the older generation, is so taboo because Mm. I have to get honest and my hypocrisy might be revealed. However, that is a great excuse for anyone to ditch right. church, mm-hmm. ditch the Bible. And so, though I don't think, okay, if someone comes to me and says, hypocrisy in the church, I cannot roll my eyes at them <laughs> because they have a legitimate um, frustration. Mm-hmm. And I want to speak to that frustration and acknowledge the fact that what you're what you're what you're seeing is true and it's mm-hmm. a problem. But they're not going to find anything better anywhere else. Yeah. And to 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 then say, yeah, you know what? There's hypocrites in the church. You probably best not go to one. No.
2: no.
1: <laughs> say, okay, brother, you're right. There's hypocrisy in the church, and that's why Jesus wants a real relationship with you. No. Okay, so with with the Gen Zs, I think there's a couple different issues going on. Yeah. One, um, at least in the unsaved families, mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. that there are a lot of Gen Z who are simply unchurched, irreligious, and and in some sense, unreached. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to go to an unreached people group and you've got to take them back to the foundations of Bi- the Bible from right. creation to Christ. Right. To go back to Genesis because they're so unreached that they don't have a biblical foundation. They don't have a bi- biblical concept. That's where we're at now with Gen Z's. Mm-hmm. You talk about some of these basic Bible stories, Noah's Ark. Oh, didn't, I think Russell Crowe made a movie about that one time.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There,
1: There, there is such biblical illiteracy mm-hmm. that, you can't, um, there's just, there's just church ignorance. Mm-hmm. So that's, that would be for some. Um, so for some of them, it's like, they don't even know you invite them to come to their your church and, and they're just kind of like taking it all in because it's like a museum that they've never seen before. Wow. Yeah. You know, so then, but then with, with saved Gen Z's, mm-hmm. I think one of your main um, uh, hindrances or, or hesitations for Gen Z's is, which is very similar to millennials, they just want to see something real. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And if they've grown up in a family where mom and dad are defeated, or angry, or legalistic, or passive, they've never seen real Christianity. And the truth is their parents probably haven't either. Mm -hmm. They just want something that's real. And they know their struggles. And they're they're honest, to, at least to an extent, yeah. about their struggles. So when they if they go to a church service, and all they hear is, well, "Do right because it's right, and do good because that's good, and, and God's watching you, and and uh, you know make sure you read your Bible and pray," to them it doesn't even connect with them. They desperately need someone to just be honest and when they bring up objections that maybe to us who are educated and more spiritually mature we could have a tendency to roll our eyes and think, why would you even think that right as soon as i do that i have i i have i i've eliminated all ministry to that person Mm -hmm. and so even at this teen teen retreat Mm
2: -hmm.
1: at one point and i've never done this before but at this teen retreat at one point i asked them they had their eyes open they're standing for the invitation I said, anybody in this room who has ever struggled with seeing things on the internet that you shouldn't have, I'm not, I'm not even talking about just pornography. i just, you looked at something on the internet, you watched something on the computer that you shouldn't have, mm-hmm. raise your hand, eyes open, raise your hand. There's several people there in the auditorium that are on the older generation of the gray and white hairs. And they're kind of going like, can we, can we do this? And you watched even the younger kids, their impulse that the 14 year old boys who know they were watching pornography two nights ago, their impulse, when the preacher says, if you've ever looked at something on the internet that you shouldn't have, and you know it, raise your hand. Their impulse is immediately to just like, well, ah, that's me. I mean, cause that's, that's their generation. That's, you know, that's yeah. me. They started to raise their hand. They pull it back. They look around and then they realize other people are raising their hands. Then they start to raise their hand. I received multiple reports from teens and from youth workers that especially the boys were blown away. Whoa, I'm not alone. There's other people that are struggling. There's other people who have had problems. And then when when the youth worker who's standing next to the boy who has his hand raised and the boy's looking at him, this is my youth pastor, what in the world? What are you talking about? And then the next time he sits down with them, he says, guys, don't you realize that from 18 to 25, I was addicted to pornography and God gave me freedom? He has just opened up uh, an immense door of ministry to that young boy to that young lady all all because he was vulnerable but if a gen Z-er is regularly going to a church where the pastor has got it all figured out where the deacons never make mistakes where the youth pastor and the youth pastor's wife have have just the perfect life nah. they're looking at that saying uh this doesn't assimilate
2: right
1: this doesn't connect with me because i i can't live that so general Zers desperately need people to just be honest just to be vulnerable wow
0: no that's no I, wow so i definitely understand that aspect as far as you know the vulnerability and and really the the wave of raising hands you know the first one that starts that domino effect and and really clearly shows the generational differences, like you were just talking about, between baby boomers, maybe Gen X's, all the way down to Generation Z that's willing and open. And I uh, you know a lot of times it's the pride in us that makes us want to keep our hand down and mm-hmm. to make everybody think we got everything together. But uh, I definitely really like that. You know, moving away from maybe objections or hindrances for Gen Z in the church. Uh, are there any common questions that maybe you're aware of that Gen Z has? Like uh, before with millennials, a lot of times it was with the rise of new atheism coming up with Daniel Dennett and Dawkins and Sam Harris and Hitchens is more of a ph- philosophical aspect. Are there any common questions uh, that they seek within Gen Z that you're aware of? Hmm. Um, nothing comes to my mind as far as them asking me these questions. Uh-huh.
1: But in, 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 just, you know, say reading news clips or, or watching interviews, I, it seems to me that if there's going to be questions, the questions that Gen Z are going to ask is, so why does it matter? For instance, homosexuality, transgender, three parent home, you know, hey, we're not going to let our kid, we're not going to assign the kid his gender at birth. We'll let him just choose what he wants to. And right. as long as it's loved. I think Gen Zers—they are the most uh, out of any generation that we've seen so far. Uh, they are the most willing to accept anything and anybody, any concept. Uh, like, hey, if you like it, it, makes you feel good, fine. So, I think what, what one of the main questions they're going to ask is, why does this matter? Like, why, why, why are you getting so worked up about homosexuals? Like, if they want to love each other, then who cares? Like, it makes a better society and. Instead of realizing, being willing to go back to scriptural truth, kind of like we talked earlier, and say, look, yeah. if I love them, it matters because that lifestyle is going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. And so if I love them, I'm going to share with them, oh, brother, you're killing yourself by – literally, you're killing yourself by pursuing mm-hmm. this homosexual lifestyle.
2: Right.
1: Okay, So I, I, I've not been asked those kind of questions necessarily right. by Gen Zs, but I feel like I've seen that question asked multiple times in – media recently, that um, I can imagine that being a major question that Gen Z's w- would would have their, through their, going through their mind.
0: Yeah, and, and that really goes back to the original uh, discussion we had before as far as the Bible says that that settles that type deal. Yes, that's true, but again, asking why does it even matter, you know, transgenderism, transhumanism, uh, homosexuality, and all these other things, the more we don't get this is my own personal opinion. The more we don't give a, like you said, more like an intuitive uh, response to it, definitely say, you know, presuppositionally, you know, God wants the best life for you and the best life is not that type of lifestyle. And this is why, as opposed to just saying, well, God says it's wrong. the moment we say that now we get people turned away from God and thinking God is just this malevolent tyrant up there in the sky, as opposed to explaining why, does God mm-hmm. say it's wrong? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the love and the promise for their life. But mm-hmm. so I think you really already touched on this, but I want to give you another opportunity really to just sort of put it all together. Knowing all this about Gen Z and the differences, the objections, the question on why does it matter? What do you think? What, what advice would you give as far as the best way to effectively reach Gen Z? Mm.
2: Um,
1: relational discipleship. Elaborate. <laughs> sure. My influence mm-hmm. in a young person is going to be face to face. Okay, maybe maybe over a text or a phone call. If there's a if there's distance, maybe Facetime. Um, but it's not me liking their posts, although that's not wrong. Um, I need to be intentional about actually caring about how they're doing not just to ask did you read your bible today did you get anything out of it when's the last time you looked at pornography right. but i want to know the person giving them time to just share so i guess what i'm i guess what i'm trying to say is i have got to actually love people take the time to get into their life ask them questions and then just listen mm-hmm. one of my one of my hindrances to getting involved in people's life is is I I feel like, well, I've got to fix their problem. And if their problem is a big, messy problem, especially a problem that I've never dealt with in my life, I don't know how to fix that problem, so then I don't get into their life. Mm. But what if my responsibility as a minister, as a Christian, is not to fix you? What if my responsibility is to give you a safe place to uncloak before mm. Jesus Christ? So then if that's what my responsibility is, then I'm gonna take you out for coffee and just say, Danny, tell me what's the what's the the highlight of this last year and what's your low point of this last year? The the greatest point of, and in your lowest point. And then I just let you talk and you tell me, man, we had this great experience. You know, this our family did this, that was awesome. And that's that sounds like fun. Okay. What was your lowest point? Well, if I'm honest, it was, and then they start to spill their guts if i give them that safe place to do it where i listen i understand and i acknowledge you know i i know how that one felt Mm -hmm. i've been there before that immediately attaches their heart to mine and even if we walk away from that coffee outing where i never cracked a bible and said now young man i just want you to understand that genesis chapter two is the first that solves that problem. (laughs) Even if I never do that, what I've just convinced is I actually do care about you. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. Guys, I'm not about just making you the most effective apostles because if that's what he was trying to do, when Peter denied him, Jesus would have said, (laughs) are you kidding me? I invested three years and that's the response I get. Fine. I'll go find another apostle, Mm -hmm. but that's not what Jesus, Jesus, what Jesus did was he turned to him, he looked at Peter, Peter's in anguish, and then Jesus says, okay, I'm going to meet him at the seashore hmm. because I know where Peter's going to be, and Peter needs me again. And he speaks to Peter. He meets the needs of Peter's heart. He heals Peter and recommissions Peter because Jesus was all about Peter. Hmm. So, to to reach Gen Z's, to reach millennials, it's not about, okay, well, you guys need a new light show, you need a new video ministry, hmm. you need to have a trap set, Uh, If you guys could just put more holes in your jeans and less suits. And it's not about suits. I'm not, I'm not uh, saying like, we need to be wearing suits more. I actually like to wear suits less, but whatever. (laughs) What is going to reach people is not my outfit. What is going to reach people is not my program. What is going to reach people is whether or not I actually love them.
2: Mm.
1: And that takes time and that takes intentionality. And it's not just to create friends. It is for the purpose, young man, I'm meeting with you because you're hurting and I want to help you because in a year from now, there's a person that you need to be hurting or you need to be helping who's hurting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm, I am, we're, we're in this for life
2: yeah.
1: now for the purpose that I'm going to help you heal so you can help somebody else heal. That, um, in our, IF, our IFP churches, we're not used to that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love that. It made me think of this verse. And I want to say it's in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. So Blessed be the God, Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comfort us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort mm-hmm. them, which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted so of good. God. You know, and so like, clearly like you were saying, it is discipleship is doing life with them. And like you said, if their main thing is like, why does it matter? And and they want to be vulnerable and have someone be able to relate to them. I mean, that's, in, that's intentional discipleship right there. Clearly like what you were drawing out. And so.
1: And I think with that, so, yeah. so some, some guys, their, their view of relational discipleship is okay. I'm going to get down on your level, baby. Yeah, I'm not actually looking to get on their level. My, because because once I'm on their level, there's no difference between us. Right. Why am I Why am I discipling you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If there's no difference between us. My My role is I want you to know that I understand, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe I don't understand, but I want to understand.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My role is I want you to know I care about you, and what I'm trying to do is draw you with me. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to go, and spend four hours every Saturday with you playing Fortnite to convince, <laughs> con- communicate to you that I'm on your level, baby. Right. I don't have to do that. In fact, I'm probably going to say, yeah, I'll play Fortnite with you on, on one Saturday, but next Saturday, why don't you come with me and we're going <laughs> to, you know, re- remodel my bathroom. Yeah. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to draw you away from those time wasting things instead yeah. of just yeah. indulging in those so I can get you to like me.
0: Yeah. No, but definitely. And this, uh With the aspect of counseling, one thing I've had to learn as far as counseling, you know, whether spiritual Christian counseling or just, you know, secular humanist counseling, most counseling is built around the aspect of letting the person talk, Mm -hmm. allowing them to open up and be real. And a lot of times they just want to be able to talk to people and just the freeing weight release that getting stuff off someone's chest just frees them up. And then mm-hmm. being able to take that and redirect him on who can help with those issues. And, and you know, obviously Jesus Christ and scripture and, and principles, but definitely. So deconstruction. So I had mm-hmm. done an interview with a, a friend of mine that I met out in Texas. Uh, go. And if you're out there listening to this, go ahead and check out that sp- spiritual deconstruction, because it's a big thing in the last few years within Christianity and the church. But I want to ask you a question. Could you elaborate a little bit on your thoughts on what is deconstruction and uh, what advice would you give somebody who is going through the process of deconstructing?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so the challenging thing with the term deconstruction is mm-hmm. it it's defined multiple ways. Yeah, uh, you, You've got a literary definition, and then you've got a social media definition, mm-hmm. and then you've got a religious definition. So there's multiple definitions, but I think in, at least in my thinking, uh, the most the, the simplest way to put it is reevaluating okay or or remodeling if i can put it that way now what some people mean by deconstruction is is i was taught a set of principles that since i have grown up and been more educated in society and science i no longer believe those principles are real I've rejected them because of my new revelation in science and society, typically saying and um, talking about the, the the reality of God, genders, things like that. Yeah. And so to some deconstruction is almost synonymous with deconversion. All right. I'm no longer a follower of Christ. I'm an atheist, whatever it is mm-hmm. to others. What deconstruction, how they use it and what it means is, OK, I grew up in a church where it was all about wearing the tie, doing the door-to-door, the ladies wore this, the men wore this, and that was church. And now as I've grown and I've looked and and, and, and I've thought, maybe this – is this really what the Bible is saying? So to some, deconstruction then is going back to the foundation, so to, to use a, a um, house illustration – it's where you get up to the roof and you realize, man, we're a foot and a half off. Where did we mess up? And you have to go all the way back down. To, okay, we're, we're, let's go back to the foundation to find out where we right here and then rebuild, reconstruct from there. So to some, deconstruction means in the church context, okay, I'm going to go back to the Acts and just look and say, what does the Bible say church is in its most organic, simple, primitive form? Mm -hmm. And then from going back to the foundation, I am going to reconsider biblically, rethink, reanalyze everything that we do. Mm -hmm. To that point, I think deconstruction, I I probably wouldn't use that term in that way. But when it's used that way, I think that's very, very helpful and very, very effective. But if deconstruction means a young person Mm -hmm. is reevaluating, basically saying, I don't think the Bible is true. I don't you know, I've, I'm being taught this in school and I've got a transgender friend and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just wondering, maybe God, that angry God of the Bible is not right. Okay. If that's, if you, if you know a person who's going through that, then I think probably what I would encourage them to do is to say, okay, let's go back to the Bible and, and let's try to discern what is your, what are you trying to deconstruct from? Let's establish that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if it is uh, my my Christian faith or my home upbringing or my church. Okay, what is it that you, you're trying to deconstruct from? What do you feel like it is, has hurt you? And what are the elements of those things that have hurt you or that you feel is no longer right? Okay, family, whatever the situation is. So they say, okay, well, it was hypocrisy in the church or it was uh, lack of authenticity or it was uh, legalism or whatever it is. Right. And say, okay, now, I'm not saying that those issues weren't in, this, in that church, it's very possible that it was. Mm-hmm. Are those issues what Bible Christianities are? Are those sins what Bible Christianities are supposed to be doing? Um, so if it's legalism, say okay. So let's go to the scriptures and let's look at that. No. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, in, in that church, I, they they told us we could only wear, you know, all the ladies could only wear skirts in that mm-hmm. church, and and I I just I I don't, I don't like that. Okay, well let then let's go back to the Bible and just and look at the scriptures and say so what does the scripture say about dress?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So. I think what will happen, especially at the person who's trying to counsel the one who's deconstructing,
2: yeah.
1: if if I am counseling someone, my goal is to not get them to a certain standard. My goal is to push them back to what is the foundation, what is truth. Mm-hmm. And especially when I begin to understand the character and the nature of Christ, not what we made him to be, but mm-hmm. who he really is. When a person begins to realize that they can't help but be drawn, yeah. Now we know not everybody when they when they get a a view of Christ's glory, not everyone is drawn. Some people run, and to that person, I must leave them in the Lord's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think going back to what would be the foundation, honestly, brother Danny, I don't,
2: yeah,
1: um, I don't often run into that term. Okay. I often see yeah. it in broader writings, right, um, or or hear it thrown around every once in a while on a yeah. podcast or blog post. But in what I am doing in the ministry that I'm involved in, I don't often have Gen Zers come to me and say, or, or even Millennials say, I'm deconstructing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they usually just are confused, right? Or I'm I'm questioning, or I don't understand why this happened, or these, this church standard is weird, or
2: no. And especially
1: us as, as as believers, we cannot be afraid of scripture. And if we take something back to scripture and oh, the scripture doesn't actually uh, make it as clear as we made it in our church, I need to be honest about that.
2: Yeah.
1: Now, that standard we had in our church might have been a, an appropriate standard back in the 1980s. But I just need to be honest with the person who's struggling with that and just be like, hey, that that was an application in the time in, in, during a decade when it was a needed application. But it wasn't directly from scripture but in 2023 there's needed applications yeah. of that passage in 2023 so we just need to discern where those are but anyways that's whole, that's another another topic
0: oh definitely no i completely agree with that and the one the one word that popped into my mind when i was hearing you talk about you know the person deconstructing and what to do for those that know somebody is really just to have a conversation with them Again, going back to your principle of discipleship and just talking to them too many times, I think, within the church and you read, whether it's, I want to say it was the guy from Hawk Nelson or Rhett and Link and whoever, you name your famous deconstruction, deconversion person. The first reaction a lot of times the church wants to do is say either, hey, they were never a Christian to begin with, or they want to start throwing stones as opposed to getting involved and praying for them or those close to them, trying to talk to them saying, Hey, let's have a conversation. What's going on? What led this? What are you deconstructing from? You know, why, what's, what's the deal. And, and so, no, that's, that's the one word is conversation that I was really thinking of when you were talking about that. So I'm glad to hear that. Now you had a really wonderful sermon that I I watched you uh, preach at a church uh, a few days back. I forget what the title was, but you really drew the difference between knowing what God does and knowing who God is. Uh, could you explain what you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Is there a mm-hmm. need for both, one, and how does that apply to our life today?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Hey, both both are very, very important uh, because it is important to go back to the scripture and say, what are the things that God can do? But I believe it's even more important to understand the very character the nature of God. Mm -hmm. Um, What I do flows from who I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me, let me, this is an illustration I've used before in preaching. Um, My father-in-law owned a painting company. Mm -hmm. If my father-in-law put on his business, part of his business logo, if it was, you know, Swanson painting, painting is what we do. Okay. That'd be a strong logo. It's communicating that, man, we're all about painting. You call us and you find us on the job site and you know what you're going to find us doing? Painting Painting. because painting's what we do. It's all, we're all about painting. Okay. But then what I would say to him, I said, I'd say, okay, uh, Wally Swanson, what do you do when you're not painting? Mm -hmm. Well, I got a wood shop that I work in and I've got, you know, 11 grandkids that I take care of or, you know, love on. And Mm -hmm. I've got, I I go golfing sometimes. I, I run a marathon here and there and, Okay, so what that would, you're communicating is you do a lot more than just painting, right? Right So when we look at who God is, so, so, so we, we look at uh, let's, let's take a principle like uh, the pursuit of pursuing God, God pursuing mankind, which I think probably was what the message that you were that you watched. Mm-hmm. Um, it, God pursuing mankind, is that just what he does? Well, certainly it's what he does. The Bible says so. Right. Uh, the Son of Man has come to seek. And to save so seeking mankind if i be lifted up i'll draw all men unto myself Uh, he he says i seek people okay is that just what he does for 40 hours a week is that just what he does during the weekday does he ever take a vacation from that does he ever take time off from that or is seeking who god is like it's his nature he can't help himself it flows from him the what um the illustration that has brought this all to my understanding and really began to help me was comes from the life of oswald chambers and i may have mentioned that in this message but this illustration helps me so much um oswald chambers if you're familiar with him uh, he was born in, in born in scotland late 1800s uh at a young age maybe eight years old he gets saved but is is devoted he he's giving his life to art he's an incredible artist he wants to pursue the arts. He was a very much a um, a deep thinker. So in the art world, he was he was their kind. You know, he he thought deep, he felt deep, everything. No. He saw things in color, whereas you and I really didn't see everything in black and white. <laughs> you <laughs> know that kind of thing. So he's he's an artist. He's pursuing art, pursuing an art career, and God begins to deal with him and draw him. And finally, at 27 years of age, he surrenders to Jesus and surrenders to the ministry, yields to him. So, from twenty seven into his early thirties, he is involved in incredible ministry. He travels to Japan preaching, travels to the Americas. He's preaching, he preaches all over Scotland, England, the UK, all of it. Uh, he starts a Bible college and is greatly used of God. World War One breaks out, and Oswald closes down his Bible college, believing God is leading him to uh, to volunteer with the YMCA. So, the YMCA sends him to Cairo, Egypt. And so now he is ministering to the English soldiers and the Australian soldiers there stationed in Cairo during World War I. At one point during that time, uh, and and the people loved Oswald because he was not a religious freak. Mm -hmm. When a man would come to him and say, I I don't like religious people, Oswald would say, well, neither do I. (laughs) Yeah. But let me tell you about a friend of mine. And he just loved on people, and uh, he'd have whole meetings where they didn't even preach, but he would just minister, and people would get frustrated. Well, no, if you're not a preacher, if you're not a service, you have to have preaching. <laughs> and so he was very much countercultural in the in the Christian culture because he just loved people. So, anyways, yeah. there's a friend of his that's in the hospital; she's dying. Oswald and his wife they go and visit this woman. This woman was in their Bible college back in England. They loved her. She had come to Egypt to to serve with them. She's now, I think she's engaged to a man. She's going to get married to this guy. She's a just a, a blooming uh, trophy of God's grace. God's using this lady and now she's dying. They visit her in the hospital. They come back to their house and Oswald's wife, almost to herself, remarks, I wonder what God will do. You know, They got a friend who's sick. She's dying. We've been praying for her. Maybe God will do something. And she says, I wonder what God will do. And Oswald said, this is what his biographer records. I don't care what God does. I care who God is. And the biographer said, at first glance, that comment would seem cold, callous, or unfeeling. To say, I don't care what God does. But that was not true for Oswald cared very deeply for this young lady. But what Oswald understood was, sometimes what God does can be confusing but who God is, is never confusing. Mm -hmm. Corey Ten Boom put it this way, never fear to trust an unknown future with a known God. See, sometimes the Lord allows a miscarriage. And we say, Lord, I don't understand why you did that. The Lord allows our pastor to get cancer at 35. And sometimes the Lord allows a, uh, a situation in our life that, we can't wrap our mind around we can't understand how that can be for our good and and if i if i if i filter life only through what God allows i will not understand god but if i know i know who my redeemer is i know what kind of person he is lord i we've been praying for that for 3 years and you didn't allow it to happen, or you haven't allowed it to happen. If I only focus on what God does, then I'm going to say, "God, you're you're missing out. You're you're backlogged. You're, are you hearing us? Why aren't you doing something for us?" But if I know, my God always hears prayer. My God always, His His nature is working for my good. Mm-hmm. I know my God is working behind the scenes. I know my God has not forgotten me. In fact, he is He is so concerned with the most inter- intricate and intimate details of my life. He knows the needs better than I do. I know who he is. It gives a great deal of freedom, relief, and comfort in the times when you can't figure out what he's doing. Mm. It's what kept Job alive. Yes. So no seeing God's works are very, very important, but knowing the person is the pinnacle pursuit.
0: Amen. Amen. No, you're, that, that was definitely, uh, the message that I would watch. I had watched from you recently and same illustration you drew out too. And I remember, you know, when I was driving in the car and heard you gave that illustration of, uh, Oswald Chambers, you know, saying, I don't care what god does i care who god is and you articulated it the same exact way it's like yeah that's that's powerful if we want to filter everything in our life through what god is doing we're gonna have a lot of questions we're gonna have a lot of you know maybe bring up some concerns but if we filter it through all who god is then there's freedom there's trust Mm -hmm. there's grace there's understanding Mm -hmm. And uh and so yeah, I know well, that think part the, of that message really helped me.
1: Think think sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh-huh. uh think about think about the Great Commission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the Bible says the fields are wet in the harvest. No. And we look around, we think <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if that's still the case in you know the 21st century.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Because what we've just done is we've allowed our experience to be to interpret scripture.
2: Mm.
1: Instead of saying, okay. If the Bible says that the fields are wet in the harvest, and if God says that He is a pursuing God, then He must be at work somewhere, though I don't see it. <laughs> yeah. So, based upon who He is, not just what I see, I am then going to act, expecting I will eventually see a manifestation of who He is. Yes. So what that leads to then is when I go to the to, to the to the diner this morning. I'm I'm walking into that diner, saying, "Okay, now Lord, you're at work in White uh, Whitehall or White Oak, Texas. So, um, Lord, if you just if you just show me where you're where someone's white, I'll jump in." <laughs> and so when I walk to the my waitress comes up, I I'm thinking, "Well, Lord, is this the one? Maybe I'm going to pose a question and ask her and see if, if there's something going on here spiritually." Yeah. But what ends up happening is you you live with the truth that God is at work and then you see it instead of waiting for him to prove it. So you believe it. (laughs) No, that makes sense. No, I I saw a quote just recently where, where it said, I believe God is always at work. We just don't always see it. And I thought that's so true. Okay. Um, where I'm at right now, it's sunshine and, uh, I I can, can legitimately, truly biblically say, man, that's a gift of the Lord today. (laughs) Man. Thank you, Lord. Uh, you know, oh, I there's a crack on the side of my slide I just found. And I could be like, Oh, god, didn't you know about this crack? Why couldn't you have? Well, <laughs> well, maybe he knows that. Uh, if I believe he's always at work, then he's doing something already through that. That I can say, Okay, this is on the Lord, he's doing something here, so it, it helps my complaining spirit.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. I get that, especially you're talking about sunshine out there in Texas and other places you know, whether it's four feet of snow or a torrential rain, you know, <laughs> while one person might see beautiful sunshine and warm days as a God working, you know, that torrential mm-hmm. downpour is alleviating a drought. Cause I know Texas had a huge drought issue a while back. And so when the rain uh-uh. finally came really was a right. huge blessing. And so right. definitely about perspective and just trusting. Yep. So I wanted to end on that, but I'd, I guess I can't because there's still one more question I want to ask, but I wanted to end on that because that was, that was powerful, man. And so I'm probably going to pull that and use that as a separate clip in and of itself. But uh, since we were talking about Gen Z, we're talking about generational differences. uh, I did want to end up with uh, just evangelism Mm -hmm. and the greatest things that you've learned. Uh, You talked about being at the camp with teens. And I think you said before that, While youth and teens isn't your only primary calling, what are some things you've learned in reaching the Gen Z's, the millennials, being in Mm -hmm. youth ministry? What are some things you've learned?
1: Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing, uh, well, two things, two things. I feel like uh, one is they just need to see um, humanity. (laughs) They they just they need to see that I'm normal. Mm -hmm. I'm not any more special. I want to communicate to them uh, that when, when Jesus said, I've not come to call, to call the righteous, I've come to call sinners to repentance, mm-hmm. that means me too. Yeah. Jesus knew when, when he came, he, he knew since eternity past what mankind was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And for the last 6,000 years, he's had the opportunity to study us if he had forgotten. <laughs> he is not surprised when we fail. he's not surprised by my lack of yielding my lack of trust so what i want to do as a preacher to young people and i believe what young people crave for is not um a demonstration of someone who has figured out the christian life Mm -hmm. like as now their new role model like hey i've I've got it figured out. So you guys come do what I've been doing. That's not what the, what the generation needs. They need someone who can communicate Jesus in a wooing way mm-hmm. that they would say, "Okay, now that kind of Christ, I I feel like I could identify with that kind of Christ. I could open up to that kind of Christ. I could yield myself to." We'll sometimes we'll preach on surrender. You surrender to Christ. You yes. I mean, he's t- he tells us you're not your own. You're bought with a price.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Your body's not yours. You yield yourself to him. But surrendering to Christ or surrendering an area in my life to him is not surrendering to nothing. Okay? It's surrendering it to a person. So, for instance, a young lady comes to my wife and I, and she's struggling. She says, I really want to get married someday, and I believe that God— has told me I need to surrender marriage. Hmm. In her mind, that's taking the, the opportunity of marriage and basically chucking it off the cliff right. to watch it tumble and smash down till it hits the bottom of the ravine. That's not what surrender is. Surrender is taking that opportunity of marriage. You're not chucking it out into um, being being destroyed or ruined. You're taking that marriage And you're placing it into the outstretched hand of Christ, who I've come to know is trustworthy, is faithful, and is good. It's no longer in my hands. I've surrendered it to Christ, and I am pretty sure that I can trust Him with it. That's what surrender is. So as I communicate that to the young people, I think the biggest thing I've, one of the biggest things I've learned is they they just they need to see Christ for who He is, Mm -hmm. and as a preacher, I can do that through vulnerability and humility. Um, and the other, the other thing I, I, I feel like I've learned and I've mentioned it already is mm-hmm. my role is not to fix anyone. My role is to, to give them a safe place to uncloak. Mm-hmm. Um, and to never view a struggle, a sin issue, or an objection to my preaching as a rebel issue, <laughs> yeah. but to hear him out carefully, lovingly. Um, when Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing here, but mm-hmm. he said, the world will know you, believer to believer, the lo- world will know you because of your love. I think he was trying to help the independent fundamental Baptist.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because we have gotten such, we've become so focused, or have at least historically in the past, become so focused on doctrinal precision Mm -hmm. and purity of theology, which is important. Mm -hmm. But we've done it to the exclusion of knowing Christ. Mm. In Oswald Chambers' words, he says, Beware of making a fetish or an idol. Beware of making an, a fetish out of consistency to your own personal convictions.
2: Hmm.
1: What he means by that is don't put your personal standards and convictions on a pedestal and end up worshiping those. Right. Put Christ on the pedestal and, and stand before him with all things in open hands. Yeah. That doesn't mean, okay. I'm no longer holding my conviction, so I'm going to go get drunk tomorrow. No, 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 no. That's not what, he, that's not what he's saying because you're not being obedient to Christ then. Right. What, he, what, we, what he's saying is let us learn Christ, his nature, his character, his person, and just yield ourselves in obedience to him. So as a minister, as a preacher, especially to youth and to teens, the truth is that message resonates with every living human being. Yeah. But especially with teens, um, they desperately want someone who's just real.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate that. Definitely. And uh, so Caleb Reed, I just appreciate you being here today and sharing your thoughts, your experiences, your heart, your passion. A lot of that passion just flowed right through. And uh, I want to go ahead and put links in the description and we'll have uh, your Facebook page ministry link and then any other links you have. Uh, do you have a website that people yep. can go Caleb, to? What is it? dot org. Okay. Pretty simple. R-E-E-D, right? C A L E E B. Read. Yes. All right. So we'll have links in the description there as well. And uh, as we wrap this up, are there any final words you want to say uh, to the audience uh, before we say bye?
1: Uh, I think I probably said it all. Just pursue the person, not the principle.
0: Amen. Amen. I like that. And so uh, for those of you still checking in, I appreciate it. Don't forget, like, comment, share, subscribe, blah, 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 blah. And until next time, God bless.